girl, so here's the deal. When your mind ain't right, your money ain't right. I used to think that obtaining money was all about the 24-7 grind and getting to the bag and entered whatever cliche statement here. But the truth of the matter is money is 80% mental and the people who are pushing hustle culture and the grind all day mentality is just selling you lies and burnout. Now, of course, we're going to unpack this concept scripturally and practically. So go ahead and grab your drink of choice and get comfortable. Today, I'm drinking traditional masala chai with coconut milk from the Blue Lotus chai brand. So far, I really love it because it actually has the pepper and the kick in it. All the brands that I've tasted so far, buying it from Starbucks or just trying different brands on Amazon, everybody likes to take the pepper out of it, which is absolutely wild to me because the pepper adds like a different layer of flavor. So that's what I'm drinking today. Now, today's conversation scripture is all around Romans 12. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This verse speaks to the transformation that happens when your mind is renewed. It highlights the importance of not following the worldly patterns, but rather allowing your mind to be aligned with God's will. In the context of our conversation today, it suggests that a renewed mind can lead to a better understanding of God's plan, including financial stewardship and wisdom in handling your finances. Now, just to preface this conversation, I'm not saying that hard work is not going to be required on this journey, especially when it comes to your mindset around handling finances. However, I am saying that hard work only goes so far when you have the wrong mindset around finances. Also, of course, everyone's hard work looks different. For example, my hard work this year was mostly invisible labor. I had to go through a lot of breaking and a lot of healing to get to the mindset that I have now around finances. And I say this year, but this has been an ongoing journey for the last six years. It just was amplified this past year. So just keep in mind that hard work looks different to a lot of people. So you're probably asking if faith can actually transform your finances or if faith and finances really do go hand in hand. And the answer to both of these questions is yes. Everything is interconnected. And I spoke in part one of this conversation how in the Bible, there are over 2,300 verses that discuss money one way, shape or form. And it makes absolutely no sense to try to segment life and finance when everything touches each other. Also, when a lot of us start to deal with finance, we deal with finance from a scarcity mindset instead of an abundance mindset. And if we are people who are truly following Christ and we believe that he is our provider and he knows our needs and the desires of our hearts before we do, the scarcity mindset makes absolutely no sense because our God is a God of abundance. So when dealing with faith and finance, it's definitely about shifting your mindset from scarcity to abundance, aligning our beliefs with biblical principles to create a solid financial foundation that we won't get burnout from. All right. So now that that's all out of the way, let's start with the financial based wisdom first, because I have a couple of scriptures that I want to give you to kind of give you some insight into the whole money mindset avenue and how the scriptures can help you navigate, you know, changing your mindset. So the first one is all about stewardship and responsibility. And that's coming from Matthew chapter six, verses 19 through 21. So it says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This verse is emphasizing the importance of prioritizing spiritual wealth over physical possessions. But in that same breath, we're going to go down a little bit more in that chapter to Matthew 6, 33. 
when it's talking about seeking God's kingdom first. So it says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. This verse is talking about prioritizing seeking God and his kingdom and his righteousness first and trusting that he will be our provider. Remember earlier when I was talking about how a lot of us handle finances from a scarcity mindset as if God is not a provider and that he doesn't want us to have an abundance of things that are good for us. That's pretty much what this chapter and what this verse is talking about. Because if we are seeking God first and his kingdom and we are aligning our beliefs and our actions with his will, then everything that we are seeking will come from him. God does not want us to be poor. The idea of poverty being a spiritual virtue is a lie. Oftentimes people overlook the scripture where it talks about make a lot of money so you can make friends. Where the problem lies is where people try to do things out of order. They want to seek wealth despite God. They want to seek abundance outside of God. They want to seek all of these things and material possessions outside of him. But then doing all that, we fall into the trap of 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10, where it's talking about contentment and greed. So it says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. This passage is emphasizing the importance of contentment and warns against the dangers of seeking money first and trying to grind all day for money and try to do any and everything you can to get wealthy because oftentimes you fall into a trap of doing things that compromise your values and your morals. We look at robbing, stealing, killing, destroying, just to get money. A lot of people are trying to gain wealth or their version of abundance at the expense of spiritual values. This is why it's important to be content with what you have because when you are faithful over a little, you can be faithful over a lot and you're proving to God that you can be a steward over the resources that he's providing you. God doesn't bless mess. So if you're over here talking about, well, I want to get rich, but you're not doing what you're supposed to do, your actions don't align with God's will or biblical scripture or anything like that, it's very difficult to be like, you know what? I want to give Alicia this $10,000 check out of the blue because normally every time you get extra money, instead of you putting it away, you start to splurge. Oh, I deserve this. I want to get my hair and nails done. I'm going to go on this trip, knowing that it would be a lot more beneficial for you to put that money into, let's say, maxing out your Roth IRA for the year, which is like $6,500. That still would leave you with $3,500. But a lot of people would blow that $10,000 in five minutes. Then the next passage I want to talk about when it comes to managing your faith and your finances is all about generosity and giving. This passage is coming from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This passage is highlighting the principle of generosity and the joy of giving. Every time I hear this verse, I think of like this meme that was circling around the internet for a while. It was supposed to be an image of God talking to this little girl. She had a teddy bear and God was like, give it to me. And the girl was like, but I love it. But behind God's back was a much bigger teddy bear that he knew that, that she would love. And it's very difficult for you to be on the receiving end of abundance if you're constantly holding on to everything you have with dear life. It's very difficult for you to be on the receiving end when your fists are clutched like this, holding on to everything. 
But when you're able to give, it's easy for your hands to be filled again. And this scripture really speaks to me because I do believe that even if we don't have what we consider a lot, we have more than what other people have. And this is also bringing up another story of about a week and a half ago, I had to go to CVS and on the way in, this man was trying to stop me. And I was like, you know what, sir, I am so sorry. I'm in a rush. I had 13 minutes to get what I needed to get from there and then go pick up my husband on the other side of town. And when I got into CVS, immediately felt like a prick in my spirit. And I tried to ignore it, tried to go to the pharmacy area. And of course the line was long and the pharmacists don't move with any sense of urgency. So I was like, you know what, I gotta go. But when I walked out, something said, go find that man. Now, mind you, I was only in CVS for maybe 20 seconds. Came out, that man was gone. I circled around in the parking lot trying to find the guy. And I finally found him in like two parking lots over. He was on the phone with his mom. He was such a sweet man. He had a sweet disposition about himself. So I was like, I'm sorry, sir. I did not mean to cut you off. I was just in a rush. Did you need something? And he said, oh my gosh, you actually hunted me down. He said, you know what? I'm not trying to ask for money. I'm just hungry. I'm homeless. I'm on the phone with my mom and she's not in a position to give me anything. So I was going to give him a change from a 20 that I broke. I had like $8. And then as I'm giving him the $8, something said, no, he needs more. So I gave him some more money. That man was so excited just to be able to say, oh my gosh, you actually helped me. You hunted me down to help me. And now I can go get some food. And in the back seat, um, my cousin is like, oh my gosh, that's so nice. I want to be able to do something like that for people in the future. It's just when I spoke to my friend about what happened, she mentioned that it was like a divine appointment because as soon as I found him, the scripture that says to entertain strangers because unknowingly people have entertained angels popped into my mind. And there's no telling what type of impact that had on his life. There's no telling what kind of impact that had my cousin's life or what that would do in my life later on down the road. But it's just one of those things where generosity and giving should be a cornerstone of your finances because when you have that heart posture often, you make it a lot easier to receive abundance later on, I believe. And the last scripture that I wanna talk about is talking about prudent planning and discipline when it comes to your finances. This is coming from Proverbs 21.5. The plans of the diligent lead to profits as surely as haste leads to poverty. This Proverbs is emphasizing the importance of diligence, wise planning, and cautiousness when it comes to handling finances. Many times when I speak to a new client or a potential new client, I often ask them, so how do you plan out your finances? And oftentimes it leads to a conversation of, I'm kind of just winging it. And I realized that a lot of us just kind of let life happen to us because there's so much going on and there's so much distracting us from what it is that's really important in our daily lives. Once you get into the habit of being intentional and planning your finances, you start to realize that money isn't as restrictive as you think it is. Your mindset starts to change a little bit more. It's like, yes, you know, I have this budget. I have, you know, these bills that are due, but I still get to do X, Y, and Z. You understand where your money is flowing to and from. You understand what you need to make changes for. And you often take a pause when you know that money is coming because you start to actually plan properly instead of spending money before you get it. You know the saying that our parents and grandparents used to say, look at her, that money's burning a hole in her pocket. 
And before the money gets into your pocket, you're already thinking about all the ways that you can spend that money instead of waiting to receive it and then planning it properly so you can be a steward over what you've been given. One thing I've learned in my 14 years in finance is finance is not as black and white as many people like to say it is. There are so many moving parts when it comes to finance because it touches everything in our lives. And when we have this mindset that we need to segment parts of our life, it's really putting a lot of us in worst case scenarios. When I started moving away from the traditional ideals of finance and started looking at the bigger picture, taking a holistic approach and incorporating faith into finance, I realized that a lot of the troubles that I had early on was because I wasn't handling my money biblically or being a good steward as the Bible said that I should be instead of what the world says I should be doing. Also, being able to incorporate faith into my everyday life and into my finances, not only has it allowed me to get closer to God and start to become the woman, wife, future mom and everything else in between that I need to be, it allowed me to place God at the forefront of my life again and it made things a lot easier. Now, I'm not saying that I still don't deal with challenges. I'm saying that the challenges are a lot easier to handle now that I'm incorporating God into everything that I do as much as I possibly can. You know, I'm not perfect. And I believe these scriptures are good starting points to help you renew your mindset when it comes to handling finances because you realize that sometimes the missing piece isn't really a missing piece. It's something that you've been trying to segment out of your life for a while or separate from everything else in your life for a while, not realizing that everything needs to be touching anyway. So now that we started unpacking the mindset scripturally, let's talk about the practical sides of budgeting, saving, investing, paying down debt and everything else. So when it comes to budgeting, I know a lot of us, myself included early on, I looked at budgeting as if it was just this highly restrictive thing that told me what I couldn't do because I had other responsibilities that I needed to manage. And let a lot of the finance coaches, experts, talking heads tell it that your budget is really supposed to tell you where your money is going and that's it. You're not supposed to worry about, you know, extra expenses outside of your mandatory expenses, especially if you have debt. And it just fostered this culture and idea around budgeting and finance as if you don't get to enjoy life until you handle all of your responsibilities and then you get to look at enjoying life eventually. Now, I don't take that approach whatsoever because we're here for a good time, not a long time. And I think everything is all about balance. Now, when it comes to budgeting, I want you to look at it as your yes plan. I get to do this. I get to do that within the confines of this dollar amount, right? Instead of looking at life as I can't do this because I only have X, Y, and Z, start looking at it as I get to do X, Y, and Z because I have this much money. It starts to reframe your mindset. It's the, that little shift that makes a huge difference and will have a compounding effect in your life. And then outside of that, I want you to look at budgeting as good stewardship. Recognize that managing your finances responsibly is a way to honor God and show him that you can be entrusted with the resources that he's provided you. Remember when I said earlier, if you can be faithful over a little, you can be faithful over a lot. And since I keep quoting the scripture, let me find where the scripture is coming from. This is coming from Matthew 25, verse 21. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you a ruler of many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Now, this scripture is actually coming from the parable of talents where a master went off and he gave his servants a certain number of gifts based off of their skills and talents. And the last servant that he gave something to, he only gave one gift. Then when the master came back from wherever he was going, he asked the servants what they did with the talents. The first servant who was given five talents gained another five. The second servant who I believe had three talents, he gained another two. But then the last servant, 
he didn't multiply anything. In fact, he was afraid and he hid that talent. And he pretty much told the servant that hid his talent that you weren't a good steward over what I gave you. You could have at least invested what I've given you and I could have had what I made plus interest. So because the other servants were good stewards over what the master has given them, the master gave them more. And the servant who hid what he was supposed to multiply, he was cast out into outer darkness because he was an unprofitable servant. This is why it's very important for you to be a good steward over the resources that the Lord has given you so that you can prove yourself. So you can move from having that scarcity mindset to the abundance mindset because you're seeing the fruits of your labor through God. Then when it comes to your budget, you have to include tithing. Tithing is giving a portion back of what God has given you so his kingdom can expand pretty much. And tithing is setting 10% aside off the top, not from the rest after you pay your bills and had fun and did whatever else you needed to do. Again, it's that being a good steward, being faithful over a little so you can be faithful over a lot one day. Now, if you're someone who's like me who does not go to a physical church, what I do is I set aside of any money that I have for giving back to homeless people or when I make a sale in my business, I put money into what I call the mom fund. That is something that I have set aside specifically. It's not, you know, a nonprofit or anything like that. It's I have a fund specifically for if a woman reaches out to me and they are in need and that fund has been funded. If they say, hey, I, you know, am short X amount of dollars on my light bill and I have a disconnection notice. Hey, my son is trying to play AAU and I can't afford the fees hey, you know, I have to go to the doctor's office and my deductible is X amount of dollars. Can you help? Again, if that fund is funded, that is what that money is set aside for. To me, those are my tithes. So whether or not you go to church, you can still set something aside that can help further God's kingdom and his people. The next part of your budget is, of course, your needs versus your wants, understanding them. So people have this mindset that when you aren't where you want to be financially, you have no business trying to have fun or think about entertainment. I do not believe in that whatsoever. I do believe in a healthy balance because life is hard enough and trying to put those ridiculous restrictions on yourself is torture, in my opinion. So first off, you need to differentiate what is a need versus what is a want. You're going to want to prioritize essential expenses and allocate funds towards those needs before considering discretionary spending. When it comes to budgeting, I like putting things in buckets, kind of using the zero-based budgeting method. Now, I'm not going to give you any percentages of how much money is supposed to go in each bucket because things are really expensive right now. People's budgets are all over the place. You just need to understand where your money is going based off these buckets. So you have your mandatory expenses, you know, things like roof over your head, clothes on your back, food on the table, your minimum payments for your creditors, right? Then you have saving and investing, extra debt repayment. For people who are trying to pay off debt, I have people put money aside into this bucket so they can put extra money towards their principal payments to help them save more money in the long run and save time paying off this debt. Then you have fun and then you have your tides. Now, your tides and contributions, again, are coming off the top, but those are five buckets for your budget. Again, however much you put in each bucket is completely up to you and your circumstances, but at least it gives you an idea of how to manage your finances and how to allocate your funds. Next practical tip is talking about your savings. The first thing that you're going to want to have when it comes to your savings is an emergency fund. This is you setting aside money for unexpected expenses and legitimate emergencies, like you're driving down a highway and your tire just blew. Tires ain't cheap. Setting money aside for seasons of famine and just emergencies 
is a practice that's aligning with being prepared and responsible. That's coming from Proverbs 21:20. Then you're going to want to set aside, you know, funds for long-term goals, whether that is a down payment for a car or a house, setting aside money for your education or your children's education, any vacations that you plan on taking, and of course your retirement. Planning and saving for the future demonstrates your foresight and your responsibility. Then we have investing. Now, when it comes to investing, especially if we are incorporating faith-based principles, we need to talk about ethical investing. You're gonna to want to consider investing in assets and ventures that align with faith-based values. You're going to want to invest in things that don't conflict with your moral and ethical beliefs. So if you're someone who believes in environmentally sustainable practices, you're more than likely not going to invest in companies like Tesla, who just had a story about dumping radioactive waste in the Congo. If you are against child labor, you're more than likely going to avoid investing again in companies like Tesla and Apple, who's currently going through it in the Congo right now as well. I know most of the financial experts in this space, when they are talking about giving you companies to invest in, those are two of the companies that they often talk about because they do have a high profitability. They are a great investment in terms of money that you can make. But if it's not aligning with your ethical values and your principles and your faith-based principles, you're not going to want to invest in these companies. Now you're probably like, okay, well, what the heck am I supposed to invest in then? Because every company has something going on about them. Listen, that's true. Nobody is perfect. No company, nothing. However, there are socially responsible investment funds that will align more with your values. And the good thing about socially responsible investment funds are that they actually are great performing investments as well. It's just not something that's wildly spoken about because they're not like the traditional companies that most of us are used to talking about and learning about on a daily basis. You're going to want to focus on diversification. This is allowing you to spread your investments across multiple assets so you can reduce your risk. The principle of diversification reflects wisdom and financial stewardship. You can find more about this biblical principle in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse two. The next, you're going to want to avoid excessive amounts of debt as much as you possibly can. Of course, when it comes to buying a brand new car, a house, you're going to need loans. Oftentimes, if you're going to be looking into higher education, if you don't have a 529 plan or any other money set aside, you're going to be looking at student loans. But even with the debt that you require, you're going to want to minimize the amount of debt that you have, right? So for example, when we bought this house, was it our dream house? Absolutely not. But being able to buy a house based off of one person's income allowed us to minimize the amount of mortgage debt we would have if one person lost their job. One person's income would still be able to manage it. And that way we weren't over our head financially when it came to our mortgage. When it comes to cars, yes, in my personal opinion, it would be a lot better for people to finance vehicles if they're going to keep it for a while. Because oftentimes when people spew the idea of just buy a cash car, a lot of times the repairs for those cash cars become expensive and a lot of people don't know how to plan for those type of expenses or if the repair is going to even be worth the expense that it's going to have. But if you buy a brand new vehicle and you have a warranty, you can minimize a lot of that expense. Your car can still be under warranty, of course, if you purchase it outside of the standard manufacturer warranty and you still minimize a lot of your risk. For me, I'd rather have a $400, $500 a month continued payment instead of having to pay $2,000, $3,000 here for an older car that is breaking down. For example, I have a 2014 Jeep Grand Cherokee and we noticed that the car was leaking oil. We had just got an oil change in September at that point. My husband told me to take it to the place that we got the oil change to see what's happening. Long story short, the oil 
and the coolant were mixing. Now, if you don't know anything about cars, like I didn't know anything about cars, if that sludge that looks like chocolate milk gets into your engine, you have a hell of a lot of problems that you're gonna have to deal with. Luckily, we caught it just in time. We had to get it towed to the dealership and we realized, you know, we could just ask our friend because he is a master mechanic and he was able to fix it for us. The problem was the oil housing filter started to warp because it was made out of plastic. And of course, with wear and tear over almost a 10 year car, it was bound to happen. So we replaced it with an aluminum housing and we avoided that. But if we did not have a friend that was going to fix the car for us, we would have been out of our pocket $2,500 just for the oil housing filter. And then if my husband didn't have the foresight to tell me to take it to the place that we got the oil change at, we could have had a popped head gasket, which would have meant that we probably would have needed a whole new engine. So I like the idea of people just financing or leasing their vehicles because at least they have some sort of insurance in case something is happening under the hood that they don't know how to manage. But with that being said, that does not mean to finance a car that is fifty, sixty thousand dollars when you are making fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year. You are going to want to be responsible and realistic when it comes to the cars that you're going to be financing or leasing. Now, I kind of went on a tangent, but avoiding and being cautious about excessive debt is a principle highlighted in Proverbs 22 verse 7, which pretty much is emphasizing the importance of not becoming a slave to debt. Then when it comes to debt repayment, my personal belief and what I have clients do is focus on paying off the most expensive debts first because in the long run, it saves them so much more money than paying off the cheapest debt first and it saves them the most time as well. So I had like this breakdown a while ago of what happens if you pay off the most expensive debts first over the least expensive debts first. The amount of money that people were able to save in the long term was thousands of dollars. I understand the mindset around paying off the cheapest debt first because you get the short term reward of seeing those numbers dwindle quickly as if you're like paying off a thousand dollar credit card and you see that balance at zero. Whereas if you're paying off your ten thousand dollar credit card and you put a thousand dollars towards it, you're not seeing the balance decrease as quickly as you would have with a smaller amount. But again, it's all about understanding the reward system on the back end is it saving you thousands of dollars in the long term and not focusing on the short term benefits. Then the next practical step I wanna to talk to you about when it comes to managing your finances are periodic reviews. A lot of us are winging our finances on a daily basis. We can't tell people what the health of our finances are really because we don't sit down and look at our finances the way that we should. Oftentimes, I recommend people do a money date, whether that's every Thursday, a random day of the week, whatever you're comfortable with, at least monthly though, right? because you wanna make sure that you are going down the right path and you are able to make any necessary changes and updates if your circumstances have changed. You also wanna make sure that your actions are in alignment with what your actual plans are. And then last, but certainly not least when it comes to practical tips is seeking guidance. Listen here, okay? We are not meant to be islands. We're not meant to know everything. There are people who have certain gifts that can help you with what you need in different areas of your life. You're going to want to make sure that you are reaching out to people who can help you when you don't understand what you are doing, whether it's watching a YouTube video, whether it's finding a coach or a consultant or something, but you can't keep trying to wing it and wonder why things aren't working out when you don't have the expertise to manage it. If you're going to be reaching out to a coach or a consultant, you want to make sure that you vet them. You're going to want to make sure that you find someone 
who respects your values, your goals, what your definition of success is, and help you make sure that you are aligning your financial goals and your financial strategies with faith-based principles, if that's something important to you. Because again, most of everybody talks about how finance is black and white and they don't look at the whole picture. But again, because life is so messy, finance isn't just black and white. The path that we took to get to the point of handling our finances was colorful, bright, and messy. So to relegate finance to just numbers in black and white is doing people a huge disservice. Now, speaking of which, I'm actually enrolling clients into my Well Starts Here Accelerator, which is a 10-week group coaching program designed to help women integrate their faith in everyday life into finance so they can become the woman, wife, mom, and everything else in between that they can be by helping them create a personalized wealth building system that encompasses the things that are important to them and their principles. If you're someone who is interested in learning about the accelerator, I'll have the link in the description box as well as in the pinned comment down below. And also y'all are hearing it here first. I'm actually taking on one-on-one clients within that program as well starting next year also. Now integrating all of these practical tips into your financial planning allows you to manage your money in accordance to the faith-based principles that you are trying to incorporate into your everyday life. It's emphasizing responsible stewardship, prioritizing essentials, giving back and making ethical and mindful financial decisions. Now, because this episode is all about mindset and how you look at finance, we got to talk about breaking the taboo of finance and faith, okay? Because there are a lot of misconceptions and those misconceptions are holding a lot of people back. Now let's talk about my not so favorite one because I can't tell you how many times when I was active on Instagram, how many DMs I got per week telling me how money is evil. Again, People are always quoting that scripture wrong and it me off so bad, okay? Uh, because this is a scripture coming from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. People love to say money is the root of all evil. No, it's for the love of money is the root of all evil because many wander away from faith and pierce their heart with many griefs trying to obtain that wealth. And when it says many griefs, it's talking about people who will do anything despite their spiritual values, their morals or anything else. They will do it. Again, we have robberies, killing, stealing, things like that, right? That, of course, are not of God or biblical principles. God knows and he knew that finance was going to be very important to our daily lives. That's why there are over 2300 verses in the Bible that discuss how to handle money. So you can be a good steward over the resources that he is providing. And let's just keep it all the way real. First of all, money is an inanimate object, whether it's paper or digital based off of where we're going in life right now. That inanimate object can't do anything that you don't tell it to do. The idea of money being inherently good or bad is false. It's all about intentions and what you do with it. Then we have to talk about the prosperity gospel misinterpretation. Look, oh my gosh. Some teachings within the prosperity gospel suggest that material possessions or wealth is a sign of God's favor or faithfulness in your life. That can be furthest from the truth, okay? God isn't the only people that blesses people, okay? And when I say that is because we look at financial and material possessions as a blessing, whereas a lot of times it can be a curse to many people who aren't ready to manage what they've been asking for. For example, I always say that whatever you throw money to, it just amplifies it, okay? So if you are used to operating in chaos, if you're used to squandering your money, if you're used to using your money on things that are harmful to you, what do you think is going to happen when you get an abundance of it? You see how a lot of people in Hollywood 
have rose to fame. They made all this money and it didn't make their life better. Instead, it made it a lot worse. Drug addictions, gambling problems, other illicit activities, right? And it essentially ruined their life and careers. On the outside, initially, it looked like a blessing, but in their life, it was actually a curse. So we have to be very mindful of people who are always prosperity teaching. And the idea that your wealth, abundance, and material possessions is a sign of God's favor and faithfulness over your life also leads people to believing that their walk with faith is going to guarantee that they're going to be wealthy. Listen, I'm just going to say it. Not everybody's meant to be wealthy because if everyone was meant to be wealthy, there would be no such thing as wealth. At least if we're talking from the financial aspect, like this perspective overlooks the complexities and nuance of life and the spiritual nature of blessings beyond physical possessions. So please be very mindful of people on the internet who are always talking about the blessings are coming, the wealth is coming. God said you're going to have X amount of money in your bank account by the end of January 31st. Be very mindful of that because there are many people who fall for that because they have an itching ear to hear the things that they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. Then on the opposite end of the spectrum, a lot of people have this idea that poverty is a spiritual virtue. Again, God does not want us to be poor. Now, I just said that not everybody is meant to be wealthy. However, it doesn't mean that everybody is meant to be destitute either. Like there is this misconception that if you don't have the physical or the material possessions, if you're not wealthy, if you're poor, that it is a spiritual virtue because you're better than everybody because you don't want these things. But again, those are false teachings also. Yes, the Bible talks about humility and not being greedy and being content with the things that you have, but it doesn't inherently glorify poverty being a virtue. In fact, there are five main virtues that we know of. And you can find these in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long suffering. I ain't read nothing that said poverty. So until someone can show me scripturally that poverty is a spiritual virtue, I'm going to say it's a lie. Ooh, Lord. Then the next taboo is ignoring financial responsibility under the guise of having faith. Okay, some people lean into the idea of faith without taking practical steps. They believe that if they solely rely on prayer and faith, that everything will just work out. The financial issues would just go away while neglecting the need for wise financial planning and decision making. Now, listen here. I'm not saying our God is not one to fulfill miracles, but I'm also saying that God has given us the tools and the resources to find the things that we need. Let's say, for example, a lot of people will pray for a cake, right? Now, God would give us the water, the flour, the eggs, the oil, the icing, the spices, if it needs to go into the cake, the baking powder, the oven. He'll give us all those things so we can make the cake. He's always providing us the tools necessary for us to reach what we need to have. But oftentimes people are relying that a miracle is going to fall from the sky and all they have to do is just pray. One thing that steered me away from church for a while is always hearing that, you know, sister and so-and-so is sick, but she doesn't need a doctor. We're just going to pray it away. Excuse me? God gave us science skillful hands, people with knowledge to help the people who are sick. And we're going to say that that resource isn't good enough. I'm just going to continue to pray it away. Again, I'm not saying that God does not perform miracles, but he also has given us the tools and the resources that we need to make things happen. Your faith should never supersede the works that you're doing or need to do because faith without works is dead. You can have faith all you want to, but if you're not working towards the thing that you were praying for, you're wasting your time. And then the final taboo that we have to break is the reluctance to discuss 
finances. So many people are tight-lipped when it comes to money. But then on the other hand, they say that they want to build generational wealth. Now, here's a scary statistic. 90% of wealth built is gone by the third generation for most people. Why is that? Because they don't have the education. They don't have the tools. They don't have the resources to fall back on because no one educated them and discussed finances with them. There's no way that you can have generational wealth if you're not going to talk about this resource that touches everything in our lives. Too many people, including myself a while back, thought that faith and finance needed to be separated when that is not true at all. The avoidance of having these conversations can put a hindrance on opportunities for learning and supporting each other and making informed financial decisions for our families and our communities. Now, addressing these misconceptions requires understanding the nuanced relationship between faith and finances. It's important to recognize that money isn't inherently good or bad, but it's all about your intentions with it. Also, integrating faith and finances is all about responsible stewardship, ethical decision-making, generosity, and aligning our practices with biblical beliefs. Having open conversations and seeking guidance that integrates financial wisdom can help dispel a lot of the misconceptions that we have around faith and finance and foster a healthier understanding of the relationship between the two. Now we discussed some scriptures, practical tips, and misconceptions when it comes to the way that you view money, right? Because again, if your mind ain't right, your finances ain't going to be right either, okay? From biblical wisdom to budgeting to breaking taboos, it's about aligning beliefs with responsible stewardship. Now, let's keep the conversation going. I want to hear from you, okay? Drop any questions, comments, thoughts that you have about today's conversation. I really want to help you go into 2024 with the right mindset around handling finances because, again, money is 80% mental, 20% action. Now, stay tuned for part three of this conversation when we're pretty much talking about from being scared of success to being financially unstoppable in 2024. The next conversation, we're going to be talking about redefining what success actually looks to us on our terms. So until next time, I'll talk to you later. Bye.